This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 9th of December 2021. Norman, I don't know why we need PCR tests or rapid antigen tests here in Australia because coronacasters are very good at diagnosing respiratory infections. Uh, they notice that you've been sounding a little croaky these last day or two. Yeah, I've just been talking too much, talking too sure, much. Sure, sure. I did get a test just to make sure and negative, which is good. Negative for COVID, positive for probably a day in bed, I think. Yeah, the great thing about being croaky is that you sound worse than you are. Okay, I'll take your word for it. So let's talk about Omicron again today. And it's been a week and a half, nearly two weeks since it was first declared as a variant of concern by the World Health Organization. And incredibly, there are already scientific studies being done on it that are starting to give us some results. So super early days, but there's been one group that has managed to look at how Omicron deals against antibodies in humans via a Petri dish to see just how much it might be evading our immune response. Yes, this is uh, Alex Siegel's group. Uh, Alex Siegel is an Israeli scientist uh, based in South Africa, a virologist. What is it with doctors and bird names? Dr. Swan, Alex Siegel, <laughs> sorry, uh, as you well, were. Yeah, I think it's the German pronunciation, uh, the, the German spelling, S-I-G-A-L. Nah, but um, I'm, going know, with I'm sure, you know, I'd be honoured to be associated with Alex Siegel. Um, but, you know, nice try, Tegan. <laughs> I actually had Alex Siegel on 7.30 last week talking about some of the preliminary evidence he had in another case study. But here he's got a group of 12 people, so it's a small study that he's looked at in terms of just the behaviour of the Omicron virus, how it actually gets into the body, has it escaped the normal mechanism for actually entering the body, the so-called ACE2 receptor, and then tested the virus against antibodies from people who've been immunised with Pfizer, And some of those people, about half of those people who had been immunized with Pfizer had also had a previous infection with the ancestral virus, in other words, the Wuhan virus last year. So that that was the study. The results were, I think probably to some relief, is that the virus has not got an alternate mechanism for going into the cells. It still uses the ACE2 receptor. So that's a relief that we're not dealing with an entirely new mechanism here. And then what he showed was that there was a 41-fold decline in the effectiveness of the antibodies to Omicron. 41 That sounds like a lot. So it is a significant escape. But the point that they made was that the escape was incomplete. But interestingly, they were only willing to say that it was incomplete. And by the way, this is a preprint. It's not been peer-reviewed yet is that there was only incomplete in the five participants who'd been previously infected. So what they're saying in this study is that they would expect in the five people who were previously infected and then immunized with Pfizer, that they would get good protection against severe disease. They don't seem to be making a comment about Pfizer alone here. So I think it's still an open question the extent to which Pfizer will protect you if you haven't been previously infected. This is a tiny study. It's very hard to extrapolate beyond that. The paper that we're reading has still got to go through a few more checks before it actually gets into even the preprint. But that's the initial, that's, those are the initial findings. So don't take too much from it. 
but it does show a very significant decline in effectiveness of Pfizer. So when you say incomplete, it's sort of a bit of a double negative. We're talking about an incomplete evasion of our immune response. That is, there is some protection That's right. from uh, someone who's been previously infected and had Pfizer. So what do we know about maybe like whether a booster brings you up to that same level of someone who's been infected and also vaccinated? The comment they make they make in this in this paper is that a booster is likely to increase the effectiveness of the vaccine due to higher amounts of antibody and protect against severe disease. So that's the comment they make. Uh, I mean, boosters are likely to give you a bigger, deeper immune response to give you the best chance of defending against the Omicron. The thing that really gets me about this pandemic that we find ourselves living through, Norman, there's sort of two things. If we're unlucky enough to be living through a pandemic, we're so lucky that it's at a time where science is so advanced and and travels at such a rapid pace that we're able to see something like this happening within a week of a variant being identified. And also the access that we actually have to scientists through social media. Like Alex Siegel is on Twitter explaining his research to whoever wants to find his Twitter account and and read it. And I was quite sort of comforted, I suppose, by a comment that he made saying this was better than he expected of Omicron. The fact that it still needs to use this ACE2 receptor, this particular plug in our cells to get in, and that the escape is incomplete, like you just said, means it's a problem that we can fight with the tools that we've got. This time around, we're probably going to be okay. That means that the vaccination levels being high, people getting their boosters as soon as they're eligible for them, means that we'll almost certainly be able to resist severe disease. Um, notwithstanding that in this small study, they saw that best with people who'd been infected before. But people who'd been infected before and had two doses of Pfizer, that's almost the equivalent of having three doses of the Pfizer. So it's almost like um, having had a booster. So by proxy, it looks as though we'll be fine um, until the next variant comes along. <laughs> so I guess it's time to pull out the old Dr. Norman Swan omicronometer of panic. In the light of this study's information and what we've found over the last couple of days, Where, where, what, <laughs> what colour are the pants? I've changed uh, from blue to mauve. <laughs> so I'm just starting on the brown scale here. But, you know, bicycle clips, I haven't been able to find my bicycle clips, actually. I don't know where they are. So I would think that I'm getting over six now on the scale to 10. You know what, Norman, I was worried about coronavirus. But now that you're saying that your pants are mauve, I think that there might be other medical problems that we need to talk about. <laughs> exactly. I'm colourblind. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll keep it light for you today because you're a bit croaky and nothing else, of course. I want to start a new segment that we'll do once called Redonkulous Question Thursday because Nick has written in with a question saying, could a mozzie vaccinate someone if it bit a vaxxed person and then an unvaxxed person? Oh, the old mozzie story. This could be the new future to uh, to protecting the world against COVID. You could never say never. And it's possible to spread this by blood. During the early days of HIV, there was this story that mosquitoes might spread HIV, which was just complete rubbish. I just don't think that's likely. Not enough mRNA in a, in a mozzie bite. Not enough blood. Um, I don't think that we can substitute our regular vaccinators, our pharmacists and GPs and practice nurses for mosquitoes. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stick with needles then. So let's talk about boosters because we did put the call out yesterday to people who to basically write in and tell us how they were going about getting their booster at around the six month mark. There'd been sort of talk among some experts in the media that perhaps the booster dose should be brought forward to earlier than six months. But ATAGI, the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation, has said six months is the 
prescribed interval and it shouldn't change. And heaps of people have written in sort of saying that there seems to be very little flexibility around that six-month date if there are what people consider to be, in their own case, extenuating circumstances. Yeah, lots of people saying, you know, I turned up two weeks before the date and being turned away. Most people have been turned away by state clinics. They're saying that if they go to their GP, the GPs are often a bit more flexible about this, although some receptionists are providing a block there when people want to book in. GPs are not going to get sued for this. You're allowed to give this between two and six months if they choose to do so. It may be that there's less latitude in terms of decision-making, but there does seem to be a lot of resistance to going earlier than six months. But GPs are seeming to be most flexible, although what I've heard in Sydney is that some pharmacists are pretty flexible too. And it's not that we're necessarily advocating for people to go out and try to get their booster before the six-month mark, but people are interested in doing it. And just to recap on the Atagi advice, it actually does say that in certain circumstances, that six-month interval can be shortened to five months for logistical reasons. For example, for people who are at high risk of severe COVID in outbreak settings, if someone's travelling and will be away when their dose is due, or if maybe they're in an outreach program where access is limited. Yeah, and and we've got one um, coronacaster who's written in saying this person's going to India in about 10 days' time and could be away and was refused vaccination, refused a booster by multiple places, but eventually found a GP who would do it. So, yeah, just to remind us, like, why are we talking about boosters again? What is the, what is the latest science on boosters? Really, we're following what's happened in Israel and also some data from the UK and also some trials of booster shots in um particularly in the United States. So Astra does start to wane significantly at four months. Pfizer starts to wane significantly at five or six months. The younger you are, the less the waning because the higher your antibody response at the beginning. So if you're young, by that I mean under 50, the evidence would suggest you don't need to uh, really rush it through earlier than six months. You've got pretty good protection. But if you're over 50 and you've had Astra, um, there, there is a degree of uncertainty about how much protection you've got after about four months. So there is, a, there is an argument for that, but the rules are not flexible at the moment to allow you to do that. But what the data show is that if you have a booster, it's not a booster, if you have a third dose, which is really what you're always meant to have, regardless of whether you had Astra or Pfizer for your first two doses, you get a very significant boost in your antibody response, which is bigger than you get with the first two doses. And when you look at that level of antibody response to the third dose, it doesn't matter whether you had Astra or Pfizer first time around, it gets you to the same sort of level. So it does work, it does get you to a higher level. How long it's going to last, we simply don't know. And Atagi does actually provide a lot of information. If you know where to look, if you search Atagi boosters, you'll find its guidance. And there is clinical guidance there. They link to the studies that they use as well. So if you're a bit nerdy and you want to look into that a bit more, you can do that. And if you have questions for us about boosters or anything else related to coronavirus, you can message us by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs> 